أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعجل فرجهم We uh, began with the خوف uh, and حزن chapter in our last session and uh, tonight um, I want to continue where we left off but we're not going to go by the book because if you remember I said last time that there's one little thing I feel that he skipped Ayatollah Jawadi skipped um, regarding khawf and huzn so we reached the point where we were discussing the origin of khawf which is fear and huzn which is grief right some people will have fear and grief because they have neglected a wajib or a haram correct then there are some people who know their grief they're grievous or fearful that they're missing out because they've missed a mustahab or a fazilat things like that and then you have some where Ayatollah Jawadi ended it here he said that there are also some who they're taking care of all of these wajibs and mustahabs and all that stuff but they are afraid that they're not living up to uh, what they're supposed to when it comes to being grateful to whatever Allah has given them the Quran even says that if you were to try to uh, be thankful towards everything not even thankful just count the blessings of the Lord you won't be able to so if you can't count them then for sure you can't um, make it up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be grateful the way he deserves you to be grateful towards him and so here he says that there are some who will have khawf and huzn will have grief because of this or fear that I won't be able to make it up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he's done so much for me and he ended it here if you remember in our last session I said as we ended I said there's one more thing I'm surprised he didn't bring up and that is the khawf and huzn that is the result of and originates from firaq which is above all of these other things that we've discussed so far firaq means separation separation from in this context the beloved and the origin of that will be so that's one of the origins one of the things that causes fear one of the things that causes uh, grief the fact that uh, I am away from Allah still and there's separation between me and him and so in these books like they'll write things like this they'll say that uh, they call it al-huzn al-daim perpetual continuous huzn is one of those things that if it ends and it's not there in one's heart yes a continuous grief that the spiritual blessings of Allah pouring down on that person's heart will end which is very serious actually but the question is what grief are we talking about here some say, well, the, the huzn and khawf of, oh, what if? What if my life ends and I don't reach the destination? Things like that. They're talking about how important that is. Um, I want to talk about this tonight. Now, someone will ask, will say, this um, khawf and huzn that has to do with separation from Allah, what does that exactly mean? Let's talk about separation first. The opposite of separation is, of course, unison, unity, coming together, right? What does that mean? That's something we need to talk about. We also need to talk about is uh, this firaq and separation that is the origin of grief and fear. What does that originate from? Its roots can go back to actual muhabba and love, okay? So this I know I started off by saying that the origin of this khawf and this huzn is separation. But in reality, it is because of the abundance of love that the person has towards Allah that they have this fear that what if, what if, or not what if, I haven't reached him yet. Well, what do you mean by reaching? What do you, what, what do you want to, uh, what do you want to reach by 
when you say reach him, what, what happens exactly? These are things I want to talk about inshallah. The first question is, because when you look at these urafa and ulama and spiritual sages and gurus, lots of times they're shedding tears and I'm going to share some stories with you. And so the question will be back to ask, why are you shedding tears and crying? Why are you crying uh, when you're in love? When you're in love, you're not supposed to cry, right? And they'll say separation. I do want to say this before I go on. You can't force this. This is not something to force. Like I remember I would look at some of um, back in the day when we were very spiritual. <laughs> we, I would look at some of my classmates back in the Qum, how they would uh, weep in their Salat. And I've spoken, spoken about this before too. I've shared this story with you before that I asked one of these greats about this. I was, I was like, I feel bad. Why? Because I'm not shedding tears the way they are. And he said, that is not the criteria. Okay, that is not the criterion necessarily. You see what I did there? Crying, criterion, you see. Anyway, so <laughs> you can't force these things. Not saying that those individuals were forcing it upon them. He was telling me that don't force it on yourself. If the time comes, alhamdulillah, if it doesn't come, don't worry about it. As long as you are continuing the, the path of obedience of Allah. So, but we will see that these individuals, some of them, actually, they are, they are weeping, although they're in love. And if you ask them, why are you weeping? They say, I'm in love. So what does that look like? What is that all about? I would say it's something like a person who is in love with another person. They even know that their beloved is there. I gave the example of Yaqub in our last session, right? Yaqub was in love with his son, Yusuf. Did Yaqub think that Yusuf is dead and that's why he was weeping for Yusuf? No. If you actually look into the sources in the tafasir, they'll say that Yaqub knew he's alive. But it was firaq. It was separation and distance that was killing him. He went blind or lost his sight as a result of the grief. But he knows Yusuf is alive. So it's kind of like that. These urafa, I don't want to say ulama because some ulama are not urafa and some urafa are not ulama. These people, they are weeping the same way Yaqub kind of weeped. Because if you know your beloved is out there, that's not going to be enough. Think about it. You know they're there, but you can't see them ever. That really stinks, doesn't it? Like you, you'll be upset. No one can tell you, oh, you should be happy because you know your beloved is out there. I don't care if they're out there. I want unity and unison, right? I want to reach them. That's not good enough. It's not enough that he's out there or she's out there, you know? And even worse, sometimes you see them, but they're keeping them behind a glass wall or something, and you can't actually go and hug them, take them into your arms, you know, that kind of thing. Once again, become one with them as if, you know? And so what's going to happen? You think that a person who sees their beloved, they haven't seen them for years now, they're behind some glass window and they can't get close to each other, you, you got to keep your social distancing. You got to stay 10 feet, 20 feet away from each other. These glass walls, these bars are keeping you away from each other. I'll be looking at the person that I'm in love with, but I'll be crying at the same time. Why? Why are you crying? There they are right there. You're like, yeah, you don't understand. I haven't reached them yet. That moment that you reach them, even you're weeping and a weeping, you know, tears of joy and so on. So like this question of why would someone who's in love be grievous, be, be, be crying is because that uh, they haven't reached. Now we'll talk about what reaching is. They haven't reached the beloved yet. And so they're like, wow, I want to get there. I know he's there. I see him even. I feel him even. But I can't, I, I don't have access. I haven't reached that. I haven't reached him. So at the same time, <clears throat> with this grief, yes, this grief will come other things. It will be accompanied by, at the same time, hope. These tears, this grief that a person has, there's hope because they know that one day wisal will take place. Wisal is the opposite of firaq. Wisal means actual connection, actual reaching the destination. Also this grief, these tears are pleasurable. Okay, the only, the only example or explanation I can have for that is to say that 
it's kind of like the tears that we shed for Imam Hussein right? That if you there's poetry about this, um, that uh, every year I wait for that, I wait for Muharram. If Muharram is a sad time of year, correct? Why are people looking forward to it? This is actually, we have poetry for this. That I look forward to Muharram every year. What? Isn't it a sad day? Isn't it a sad occasion? It is. But the love that's there, you know, and the connection that happens during that time is something interesting. And so you'll have poetry, you'll have nohas even that talk about this, that it's the best time of the year. I can't wait for it to come, you know, things like that. And so a person who's not familiar with this culture will be like, what are you talking about? What does that even mean? When you're crying, when you're weeping, when you're grievous, it's something that's not, it can't be pleasurable. You're like, you don't understand. As a matter of fact, there's a there's one line I remembered right now that one of these uh, more unorthodox nohas, I, I remember like 15, 20, 30 years ago, they were reciting it, that uh, uh, they call us crazy, you know, the ones who are weeping for Imam Hussein and all that. They call us crazy, they say, and then he goes like this in Farsi, he says, Ashik nashudi nemiduni, Ashik nashudi nemiduni divunegi alami dare, which means that you haven't fallen in love, okay, and that's why you don't know that uh, craziness has its own world, you know? You're missing out on a lot, so to speak, okay? <laughs> you won't understand because you haven't fallen in love. And that's why you call me crazy, that kind of thing, right? This is all for Imam Hussein. So something along those lines multiplied by infinity, by billions, millions, whatever, that is what these urafa are going through with uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, so that... It's grief. It's something that's burning them away. Yeah. Like a candle. But at the same time as they're burning, they're also taking pleasure. It's, it's very interesting. So in this context, the question that we want to talk about also is, what is this visal? What is this quote-unquote reaching Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Right? What happens when you quote, reach Allah? Um... A person like me should not be speaking about this. And uh, I really don't know. But all I will say is that these are the terms that are used when uh, they speak about quote-unquote reaching Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They say, it's al-fana'u fillah. And even past and beyond that, al-baqa'u billah. Or al-baqa'u bil-fana'i fillah. Which basically translates to, I'm not going to act like I know what I'm talking about here. Basically translates to Al-fana'u fillah means being dissolved in Allah um, Now some will say Oh what is meant is my will Yes Being dissolved in Allah's will Me only wishing what Allah wishes actually Others will go beyond that And so whatever the explanation for this is And I don't want to get into it Because there's a lot of details in regards to that as well Al-fana'u fillah Basically means annihilation and Dissolution in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Okay When uh, you mix sugar and tea Right That sugar dissolves And can anyone say the sugar is not there anymore It's there but it's not there That's the best I can say And so this is fana But at the same time Because this fana is within Allah Is Allah ever uh, Going to cease to exist No and so you are actually dissolving in the eternal being that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's called al-baqa'u billah. Baqa, yes, uh, persistence and uh, existing through dissolving in Allah. And once that happens, some crazy other crazy good stuff happens. All right, that's like, we've talked about this in some of our courses as well. That those who actually... Uh, reach that point where they become one with Allah, whatever that means. The Quran says that we will blow in the trumpet and everyone will be terrified, everyone will die. Illa man sha Allah, except for the ones that Allah wishes that they don't. Who are they? Allah does some very nice stuff there. We have this in our death and barzakh course, right? There's some very interesting stuff there, and he proves that these are the ones who were who had accomplished something like this. Because they've become one with Allah, when Allah tells everyone else to die and even takes the life of the angel of uh, the one who blows in the trumpet even, these individuals are going to be still be alive. Wow. That's how powerful they are. 
powerful because Allah is powerful and they've become one, become one with Allah. Now someone hears this and says, oh, becomes one with Allah, that's shirk. That just shows we haven't understood it. No, no, it's not, that's not what we, it's, it's, it, when you put it in words, it sounds problematic. And that's why we don't talk about these things too much. These are things to be experienced and achieved, not spoken about too much. Speaking about it for the longest time won't give you anything. All right, so having said all of that, um, I want to get into uh, some of the texts that we have in regards to this grief and fear uh, that is the result of firaq and that firaq being the result of the abundant love that one has for Allah that they just can't take the separation. They just can't take it, okay? Before that, I want to see if uh, the explanations I gave, are there any questions in regards to that before I move on to these, huh? No? Okay. So in Risalatul Lubul Lubab of Allama Tehrani and others, he says here, he's talking about these individuals, what they look like. What do they look like, these individuals? who reached the point where they're burning for Allah, okay? He says, I'm going to translate as I go, so I might stutter a little bit. He says the one, that spiritual wayfarer, at the same time that they are living amongst the people and they are, you know, taking care of their daily whatever's the work that they have, and their soul is just somewhere else, as if, as if, in the heavens, and interacting with those inhabitants of the heavens. He says, let me give you an example of what this person is like, okay? This person, I personally like this example that he gives. He says, this person is like the one who, upon whom a tragedy has befallen, okay? And especially if some time passes, let me give you this example, like, okay, you lose a child, God forbid, God forbid, <laughs> you lose your child. In the beginning, everyone's sympathizing with you and all of that. But after some time, you know, everyone's going to forget. I mean, whenever they remember, they'll be upset for you. Or if you've lost a loved one, a parent, whatever. They will feel sorry for you whenever they remember. But that state that they had in the beginning, do they still have it one year, two years, three years later? No. But you who lost the actual loved one, right? No, some people will live with that forever. What do they look like though? They don't look any different than everyone else after two, three years have passed. But there is something burning inside of them. Okay? He says it's like that person that a musibah has befallen. This person comes and goes, sits, eats, sleeps, just like everyone else. But inside of their heart, there is a ghoga. There's a chaos going on. Yeah? Of what? There's a lot going on of the images and the memories of that person, of that loved one that they've lost. So if a person looks at this individual, they can tell, okay, this person isn't the same as five years ago. But all in all, this person is just like everybody else right now, right? He says the, the salik, right, is after something. It's as if they are missing something and they're burning, okay? Because that's real love. When you're not with what you love, if that's real love, you will be burning. It says that they are burning as well. And they have a certain connection with their Lord and they have a sea of excitement and joy uh, in their hearts and a flare and, 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 and flame of, of love and affection is burning them. As a result, they have grief and sorrow. You see, this is, I'm like, where is all of this? And I told the Jawadi, I don't know why he didn't bring all of this up. This is like the main stuff right here. I'm surprised that he didn't bring it up. I looked, uh, read ahead as well. He hadn't brought it up. Maybe he's going to bring it up some other time. But anyway, this is like usually when grief and sorrow and fear come and their origins come into the picture, the first thing that's discussed or the most important thing that's discussed in this context is this type of fear and, and, and grief. Anyway, it says that no one is aware of what is going on in the heart of this individual except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if anyone looks at this person, they can tell that there's something up with them. Okay? Something going on here. So let me share with you, actually I brought, I put some hadith from Nahj al-Balagha here. What do they look like? 
This is in the khutbah of muttaqin in Nahj al-Balagha, okay, that famous khutbah. It says, وَلَوْلَ الْأَجَلِ Imam Ali, he says there, وَلَوْلَ الْأَجَلِ الَّذِي كَتَبَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ لَمْ تَسْتَقِرَّ أَرْوَاحُهُمْ فِي إِرْسَادِهِمْ طَرْفَةَ عَيْنٍ شَوْقًا إِلَى الثَّوَابِ That if it wasn't for that, that, you know, that deadline that Allah has set for their lives, meaning the time of death that Allah has set for them, these individuals that are the real muttaqeen, their souls would not sit in their ajsad, in their bodies. It wouldn't be able to sit there. They would, it would fly out. <laughs> the blink of an eye. Not for a blink of an eye would their souls remain there. If it wasn't for the fact that Allah has made it necessary that they stay in this world for, till a certain period, for a certain period of time. Shawqan ila thawab because of the shawq that they have for that thawab of Allah and the greatest thawab is Allah Himself. Okay, that's what that's what they look like. You can tell this person, a person who's always thinking about you know getting up and going. You can tell this guy's up. This guy this guy's not. This person is restless. They just can't sit there like everybody else. Yeah, it's because they want to get out of here. Yeah, dunya sijn al mu'min. Yeah, kind of you know. Takes on another meaning here. The dunya is the is the prison of the mu'min. Yeah, they they in one sense, if they're one of these mu'mins, like yeah, this is the only the alam al madda, the material realm of existence, is what is holding them from reaching Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. They can't wait to break out of this, right? Or another part of the same khutbah, yanduru ilayhim. So we're talking about what they look like. You can tell there's something up with this person, right? Yanduru ilayhim nadir. This is another part of the same khutbah. That a person will see this individual. marda. They think, oh, this person is kind of ill. They look kind of pale. They look. But no, no, this person is not sick. These people are not sick. And this person who's looking and sees them says, Have they lost it? Yeah. You know, uh, it means like when something's mixed up. Confused, lost, bewildered, restless, these kinds of things. What is mixing this person up? Meaning, like, what's wrong with them? The Imam says, You know what's gone into their minds? What's confused them? What's kind of mixed them up and shaken them up? Yeah, something great. Allah. Allah has shaken them up. They can't wait. So you can tell that there's something going on here. You can tell. All right, so let's go back to what Lubul Lubab was saying. He was saying that I'm sorry Yeah He's saying that you can tell that there's something going on with them Then he moves on He says He opens up something Another little discussion here He says that If this is the explanation that we're giving about these people That they They are so shaken up They're burning Whatever wording you want to use here if that's the case, then these du'as that we have, these munajats, these whispered prayers as they translate it to, that we have uh, from the imams, where they sound like they are wailing to Allah, they are crying to Allah, they are sounding like they're the worst people in the world even sometimes. The explanation that is given is usually that Oh, they're doing this to teach us what to say. Correct? He says here now, Allama Tahrani, he says that no, no, based on the above, it's not about that actually. The fact that, oh, these munajats are, as they say, irshadi. They're teaching us how to talk to Allah. That is the case, of course, but that's not all. It's not like they don't mean it themselves. Why should they be worried? Why should they be weeping and crying? They're going to Jannah anyway, Habibi. The problem is that you just see Jannah, that's it. They don't see just Jannah. Their Jannah is something else. Their Jannah is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so, until they reach Allah, they are not satisfied. And, and in other words, they are grievous. They're upset. So these Imams, he says, don't bring them down low here. Why? Because, oh yeah, they're just teaching us or else they don't mean what they're saying here. I mean, why would they be upset? They're going to Jannah like, oh, that's not how it works. They are yearning for something that they haven't reached yet. Well, why haven't they reached it yet? Well, this alam al-madda is the barrier. Of course, 
the connection they have with Allah is just next level. But as we all know, once again, this is something that we cover in our Barzakh course, the Barzakh is the time for us to grow out of these material bodies and uh, get gain the capacity for Allah more. As long as you're in the material realm of existence, there is a barrier. The material realm is like that. But the ones who've broken out of it the most and the best are the Ahl Bayt, but still that's not going to be enough for them it seems because they're even crying to Allah. But it's not because they're crying because of their sins or something or because of uh, fear of not going to Jannah or something. No, they are. They want Allah. And they, they can't wait to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam Ali says, Fuztu Rabbil Ka'bah. I finally made it when he's struck by Ibn Muljim. All right, so this was also a nice observation by Allama Tahrani here. He says, Imam Ali's du'as, Imam Sajjad's du'as, don't take them as, oh yeah, it's just uh, them fearing Jahannam or something. Yeah, or them teaching us how to that we should be fearing Jahannam and so on. All right, and that brings me to the great Ayatollah Ansari Hamedani. Because we're talking about grief, talking about sorrow. What kind of sorrow? That lofty sorrow of separation. And so the person burns as a result like a candle. This is an example of a person who burns. Okay, I'll talk about him a little bit. Let me show you a picture of him first. This is a pic. We don't have too many pictures of him. He lived like, I don't know how many years ago, about 60, 70, 80 years ago, maybe. So there's, there's, I just found this one to show you. This is him. We have a couple, maybe pictures of him, three, four pictures of him. Okay. Um, a generation before him, we don't have any pictures of them, of the ones that were in one generation before him. All right. So this Ansari Hamadani, he, he became a Mujtahid in his 20s, by the way. He... There's a book written on him. I have talked about this before as well. It's called Sukhteh, the burnt one. Okay? Because literally, he burned. What's his story? Well, it goes like this. That, look at, look at where his story starts of his spiritual wayfaring. He was so fixated on wajib and haram, right? I'm always talking about the same thing, right? Because I've, uh, that's what we've heard from the greats. Uh, he was so fixated on the wajib and haram to the point that he didn't even believe in the esoteric side of things too much. Okay? These things that we've been talking about in all of these sessions. He wasn't really into that. He's like wajib and haram all the way till the end. And he was right. But of course, there is more to it than that. He got the priorities right. He got the, uh, the whole hierarchy right. He hadn't moved on to anything else. But look, this, go, this what we're going to cover right now, shows us that when Allah wants, if you've taken care of what you've got to take care of, He'll take care of the rest. Look at how Allah brings him into that special path when He's ready. It says that He had no, He didn't believe in these whole in, in the whole esoteric side of things and the Irfani Yat and all of that. And so one day they, people come to Him. He was the mujtahid of the city or village that He was in. Okay, um, he's one of the greatest, by the way. Like he, he's been one. Of, he's been the background of my uh, phone, the wallpaper for my phone for a while now, actually. Yeah. So anyway, he's not like just some normal oh a mujtahid of a village. I mean that's how I'm saying it. But he was the mujtahid of the village or city that he was in. And they come to him one day and they tell him that there's an old man. He's talking about these things, the esoteric side of things, and so on. And he gets he gets angry. He gets up to address the issue. And so he goes and um, for like it says here for a couple hours, he's arguing with everybody about how, look, it's all about the wajib and haram. And he's right, actually. He's right, actually. Um, these irfaniyat won't help anybody if the wajib and haram has not been taken care of. I know I've said this a million times. And so he's arguing with the people. After he's done, it says that old man who was someone special and we don't know who he is, it says that uh, he lifted his head up, told Ansari Hamadani himself. He said, you, it's going to be very soon that a fire will be set ablaze within you yourself. And now you think that, okay, like a week, two weeks, three weeks from now, that's going to happen. But it says that after I left, on the way home, I felt, I felt something going on. And he says, I fell asleep that night. And 
um, throughout the day before he slept, it says, I actually felt a little a heat in me. Okay. By the way, this is a person that all the other ones have acknowledged. He was one of the greatest. Okay. We'll get to that too. It's not just someone who had an experience. Okay. Or else I wouldn't share it with you. It says, I felt something all the way till nighttime when I slept. What happened is that they bring me a goblet of a red wine. Okay. Of course, that special, not the haram stuff that we have here. Right. You know what it symbolizes, of course. And so it says that he says that on that goblet it had written Al Arufufina Kal Badri Bainan Nujum wa Kal Jabril Bain al Malaika. The one who is an Arif of us or for us is like the moon amongst the stars and like Jibrail amongst the angels. Okay. And they he says that they fed me that. I drank that wine. And so he says, when I woke up after that, it was over. <laughs> and by the way, you know, once again, I don't like to share these things, but because it's such a, it's such a humble gathering, um, there have been others that I've spoken to that have had similar experiences. They didn't want to talk about it. Uh, I asked one of these ones that we had heard a story about him also being given something by Imam Ali in his dream that gave him tafsir of Quran after that. Okay. That he drank something in his dream. Once again, these are people who spent their lives in taqwa and ubudiyya and ibadah, and eventually they're given some. They're given something. We had always heard again and again from different people that he, in one of his dreams, that he was given something to drink, and from head to toe it was pleasure for him, and that was tafsir of Quran. Any verse, and I had tested like because there were gatherings that people would ask him any verse of the Quran you'd ask, he knew the tafsir of it. One time I personally asked him, can you tell me about that? He gave me a look that just melted me into the ground. He didn't share anything with me. He said, just make sure you're doing your wajib and haram. <laughs> like, well, none of your business. None of your bu but that's where, it, that's where I got it from, kind of, you know? Or that's where it starts at least from. So anyway, going back to this story here, so I'm trying to say is that these things sometimes happen in their dreams. These greats, what is given to them when their soul leaves their body in the barzakh, when they're sleeping, something happens there apparently. But after he wakes up, it's just, he's a, he's on fire. <laughs> on fire, no pun intended, but like, yeah, you know what I mean? Fire of love, but he's still, he's on fire too. Like meaning he's just making strides now spiritually after that. And the whole esoteric, esotericism doesn't exist, all that kind of stuff. Not that he didn't, it was denying it all in all, but he wasn't too interested in it. Maybe whatever it is now, it's it, he's all about that. He's taking care of what Allah wanted from him. Allah gave him something special. It reaches a point that he can't find anything to soothe this pain of that fire within him. And so slowly he distances himself from the people, from other scholars. Let me open a parenthesis here. This same individual, I remember years ago when I was reading his book, he would tell his students, the ones that, you know, those spiritual students, he would tell them, don't you ever look down on others who are not on this spiritual path. Okay, this is very important. And he might have added that that will be your downfall or something. Maybe he might have added that. But this part I remember for sure that don't you dare, don't you let yourself ever look down on someone who's not on this spiritual path of these Hausa students and these ulama even. So not that they're bad or anything like that, but I can't be with anybody, too many people right now, he's saying. So he was distancing himself from the people and also ulama, it says. He was something special. And so here they say that Allah is the one that gave him Tawheed directly. This, I've only heard this about one other person, that's Ayatollah Bahauddini. That Allah gave them Tawheed directly without the involvement of another teacher. Okay. Or Allama Qadi, yes, the famous Allama Qadi teacher of Allah Bahjat, Allama Tawatawai and others. This is very famous. I've you know heard this a million times. It's in the books as well that he had said that Ayatollah Ansari, he got Tawheed straight from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright, so I'm saying all of this. This person, the book that they've written about him is called Sukhteh, the burnt one. Why? This is very interesting. This is also a very, very famous story about him. That 
this uh, flame of love actually eventually kind of, you can say, took his life. Like it couldn't, in other words, his ruh couldn't stand staying in this dunya. He only, he lived less than 60 years. He lived sec, le, less than 60 years. I still remember one of our great teachers saying that, yeah, he went a little too hard on himself and he should have been a little more careful, lived longer maybe. But each of these individuals has their own way of doing things and yeah. He would fast a lot, a lot, they say, and, and he would go hard on himself a lot. But anyway, it says that he couldn't, this body couldn't, and this heart couldn't take it anymore, handle that pressure, that flame, let's call it. And so one, it says towards the end of his life, when he's in his, kind of like his deathbed, and they bring a doctor, physician next to him to see, to diagnose him, it, it's interesting. This is the famous line that, you know, everyone has heard already probably from, you know, those who know Ayatollah Ansari Hamadani, that he says, you know, it's strange that, of, uh, it's strange of this old man, What's strange? That this heart of his has burned in love and there's nothing left of this heart anymore of his. <laughs> so think about it. The doctor comes to diagnose you. They're like, there's no heart left for you almost. It's as if like, not physically. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to say not physically. I don't know what the doctor meant by this. But he says your heart's just not working anymore. It's not functioning anymore. And it's, it's because of the love that you have. And so it says here later on, Ansari Hamadani like smiled and said, or later he said, that that physician was right. Yes, that love has destroyed me, but doesn't know who my ma'ashuk was. Who the one? I, he thought I'm in love with somebody actually. <laughs> no, it's not like that. I'm not in love with somebody. There's something else going on here. So that's him. But the reason I'm bringing all this is, what are you so upset about? Why are you burning? What's going on? No, it's just that this body, this world, this universe can't contain these people. It reaches the point where they break out of it and the body can't hold on to that soul and the soul is out. What does he look like though, this individual, going back to what we were talking about, how when you see them, you can tell there's something different about them, but not too much, you know? Um, it says here that some of his students, when they were speaking about those flares of love, divine flares of love that would, come out of him sometimes as if, as if figuratively speaking, they could see it in his eyes and it would make that, make him, these would make him restless. They say this, they say, when we would recite the ghazals of Hafiz, the Irfani poetry, right? We'll get to some of that maybe tonight. It says the facial expressions that he had wouldn't change, Right? But you could tell he would get he would he would turn red a little bit, and without his facial expression changing, because when someone cries, usually their face, the you know the, their expressions change, right? His face or facial expressions wouldn't change, but then tears would start flowing down his face. So remember, it said that you can tell something's going on. I'll say this too. I'll say this too. Now I've heard, from what I remember, two names, that one of these great urafa once, they were sitting in a majlis for like Imam Hussein alayhi salam. And Ayatollah Bahjat was in that majlis. Okay. So the one that is saying the story, I've heard it was a certain individual, I won't say his name. And he's saying that Allah Bahjat was there. And the Masaib are being recited. Ayatollah Bahjat and these other greats, some of them, when you look at them, they don't look like they're really into the Masaib actually. But this alim who was also an Araf, in the middle of it, he's like, stop, you're killing him. They're like, nothing's going on with him. But like, they're like, no, no. He says, you, you can't see, but there's a lot going on. Their facial expressions sometimes might not show what is going on inside. Okay. With him also, Ansari Hamadani, same thing it's saying. Saying that these Irfani, this Irfani poetry, when he would hear it, what is that Irfani poetry for him? It's triggering him as if, it's reminding him that, oh, there was a loved one that you're after that you haven't reached and it affects him in this way. Yeah. Or like his uh, son says, his oldest son, that he was all just burning. That's all it was. He was all suzesh, burning. That's all he was. If I'm going to describe him in one word. So this is the grief. This is the khawf that these orafa have. Okay. All right. And that reminds me of a hadith also that al-mu'min... That this is how a mu'min is. 
a mu'min, when they have huzn, they keep the huzn inside of them. It doesn't show in their face. They might have a smile on their face, but in their heart they have a hundred grievances. Yeah? And a hundred sorrows. Especially if that sorrow has to do with not reaching Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is also something to keep in mind. There are some of us that might affect everyone. Our families, our parents, our kids, our siblings. The moment I am upset about something, I make sure the world knows about it. Or I make sure that others are also suffering along with me. These people know. They contain it within them. They don't let it spill out. But this huzn that they have is da'im. It is perpetual. Alright, with having said all of that, the last thing I want to share with you is this story of Sayyid Ahmed Karbala'i. Sayyid Ahmed Karbala'i is one generation before these ones that we were talking about, like Ansari Hamidani, okay? He's one generation before, so I, I wish we had a picture of him. We don't have a picture of him. It always helps to know what they look like a little bit and just look at them as your role model, you know? But yeah, Ahmed Karbala'i is known to be one of the teachers of Allama Qadi. So if Allama Qadi is the teacher of the Tabatabais, the Bahjats, and so on, he had a teacher by the name of Sayyid Ahmed Karbala'i, one of his teachers, Sayyid Ahmed Karbala'i. All right, let's talk about him a little bit and what one of his stories that shows us what goes through the mind and life of such an individual who's in love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But before that, I will share with you what the great Agha Buzurk Tehrani says about him. He says, I was neighbors with him for a couple years. This person, when it came to ilm, amal, spiritual wayfaring, zuhd, wara, which is extreme taqwa and precaution in the way of Allah, ma'rifatullah, khawf, khashya, all of these things, he was unmatched. He would pray in places that weren't busy at all. Yeah, places where it's quiet. And we talked about this before as well. He wouldn't let people follow him in prayer. I still remember one of these ulama, he'd never let us pray behind him. Okay. Um, someone might say, oh, but there's more sawab in it. Okay, don't worry about that part. They can worry about that part. They know what they're doing. For me, I'll try to do jama'ah as much as I can. Okay. For them, it's either sawab or either other things that they have in mind that they want to make sure that they've taken care of first. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's a long story. We don't want to talk about that right now. One of them being fear of uh, one second of arrogance coming into their hearts because they're the ones who are leading the prayer. That's the, that's like the, that's the minimum. Okay. There's a lot more to talk about here, but I don't want to get into that either. Anyway, it says that he wouldn't let others pray behind him. He would weep a lot in his prayers. Uh, to the point where he couldn't hold back and he couldn't control uh, that, especially in Salat al-Layl. This is Agha Buzur Tehrani, one of the greatest of his time, talking about this individual. And he says, in these two years that I was neighbors with him, I saw certain things from him that were very special. And I just can't mention them in this book of mine because it'll take, it'll take a lot of time. But I'm like, no, please tell us, you know. <laughs> and that's where you know that they don't share it for other reasons. Okay. Some things they don't have permission maybe sometimes to share or they feel like it'll be counterproductive for a person like me reading it who had, who's still struggling with wajib and haram, you know? Anyway, that's a little bit about Sayyid Ahmed Karbalai. But this is the story I want to share with you now. The same Allama Tehrani that we covered. Allama Tehrani, not Agha Buzurk Tehrani right now that I read from, but, uh, but Allama Tehrani, um, who is kind of contemporary, passed away maybe 20, 30 years ago. Um, he says that I heard from Ayatollah Jamaluddin Gulpaigani, which is also one of the greatest of, the, of all time. Jamaluddin Gulpaigani, one story I'll mention to you, this is also in the Barzakh course, um, that he says, uh, Jamaluddin Gulpaigani was so special that it says he was walking in Wadis Salam, the graveyard, Wadis Salam, Najaf. And he says it himself, and like it's no big deal for him, by the way. He's like, yeah, I was walking... All of a sudden, some of the souls of those who were, you know, those bad people came to me. Okay. They came to me begging me to help them. I said, you know, and I had gone, he had gone under the shade. He was taking a break. He says, I was taking a break. <laughs> and um, these souls came to me. And it reached the point where they got on my nerves. 
اوقاتم تلخ شد دن فارسی دست اوقاتم تلخ شد they got on my nerves I'm, th- I'm sitting here thinking to myself like reading this I'm like what do you mean they got on my nerves if it was me I'd be like hey uh, a, a bad soul can we like take a selfie so I can like post this you know let the world know that I'm actually in touch with souls for him he's like they got on my nerves to the point where I'm like get out of here leave me alone you had your chance in the dunya I can't help you anymore this is Jamal Din Gul Paigani we're talking about here anyway Allama Tahrani he says that Jamal Din Gul Paigani which we have a couple pictures of him too Alhamdulillah he says he told me that I was under the direction and guidance of uh, what was his name Bid Abadi, if I'm not mistaken one of my teachers by the name of Sheikh Ali Muhammad no excuse me Najaf Abadi not Bid Abadi Najaf Abadi I was under his guidance spiritual guidance and so I would go to Masjid Sahla and I would perform certain A'mal when was this every what was it uh, let me see if I can find it here it says it doesn't say which night it says one night I went to just like how I had I had been instructed to do I went to Masjid Sahla Masjid Sahla is a very special masjid by the way in outskirts of Kufa uh, or part of greater Kufa you can also say um I went there for ibadah. And so what I would do when I would go to this masjid, according to what my ustad had taught me and told me to do. So this is for him. This is not for everybody. It's for him. This is the prescription he had at that time. I would pray Maghrib and Isha. Then I would do the amal that we have for the different parts of the masjid. Those of you who've been, you know what I'm talking about. And then after that, I would open up a little tastakhan uh, or something, a little spread that I had and I would um, have a little food a little bit of food bread and a little something next to it I would have and then I would rest a little bit and sleep then a few hours before Salat al-Fajr I would wake up and I would pray and do dua dhikr, fikr we talked about tafakkur before and all of that I would do all of that stuff and at Fajr time I would pray Fajr and then until the sunrise, I would do other <laughs> amal as well. You know, we would follow Aga Bahjat after Salatul Fajr. We would follow him to the haram of Bibi Ma'suma alayhi salam. Okay. And others would follow him too. He was famous after, you know, uh, we would follow him before he kind of got famous. So we'd just like to be with him, you know. He wouldn't say anything to us. <laughs> he was just doing his dhikr and dua and, and reciting surahs of Quran and going all the way to the haram every single day. And he would go, he'd do his ziyara, he would sit there for like hours, I think two hours maybe, in that corner, it's still there, and he would uh, you know, do his du'as and his Qur'an and all that. It would reach a point where you would get so tired, you would leave, you're like, I don't care who you are, I just can't sit here anymore, right? He's feeling something. That's for him, not for me. These people, after Salat al-Fajr, that time after Fajr till sunrise, and even after that sometimes, they it's very special to them. So here, Ayatollah Jamaluddin Gulpaigan is saying the same thing. He's saying, after Fajr, I wouldn't get up and go to sleep. I would continue with the amal that I had. And then I would go back to Najaf. Okay, from Masjid Sahla back to Najaf. It says, that night that I went, Salat al-Maghrib, Salat al-Isha, I did the amal that I initially would do. And about two hours had passed, I sat down to have my little meal. Then I start hearing, and of course back then, look, this is, we're talking, how many years ago this can be? This might be 60 years ago. This might be 70 years ago. Even more maybe. It might be more, no, actually it's more than that because Sayyidina Ahmad Karbala, he passed away 1332 AH. That's 100 years ago he passed away. So this is, we're talking more than 100 years ago probably. Yeah, if that, that date is accurate that I just shared with you. So back then, it's not like Masjid Sahla today. You go to Masjid Sahla today, it's beautiful. <laughs> back then, it was dark. 20 years ago, Masjid Sahla, 15 years ago, if you had gone, it doesn't look like what it looks like today, right? I've seen it the way it was before, you know, it was renovated the way it is now. And before me, I must, I must have been even worse than what I saw. And so, yeah, it was, it's really just a small place. And now they've expanded and made it nice and all the lighting and all that stuff. So you can be sure a hundred years ago when he's sitting there, he might have a candle or something. He can only see around him by, I don't know how much of a radius. That's about it. And so he says, it's dark. And so he says that I hadn't started yet when I heard the sound of munajat. 
and wailing yeah and uh yes these sighs and cries although there was I, there was no one else in the masjid other than me in this dark masjid he says and i could hear this sound from the northern side of the masjid right in the middle where the maqam of sahib zaman is okay so i'm hearing that and so it started there so you have the maqam it's in that direction but it's not at the wall it's it's before it's behind that okay and he says it was just it was so uh it was just mesmerizing and attracting me to it that of course i forgot you know what i was eating I, I, you know I, he just didn't have his meal and he says that it was with such it was with such uh, passion and love and fervor and and then there is poetry arabic poetry farsi poetry that he was reciting and munajat and all this of duas lofty duas and so on right this is why I, once again i'm like why i tell the jawadi why don't you cover these things this is like the real huzn we're talking about you know um he says that it just wiped me out completely i couldn't think about anything else other than just what's going on right now and i couldn't even have one meal so he says that this went on for a while the crying the weeping the munajat and then silence and uh, for those who are just listening to audio, I'm actually reading off of a very reputable, incredible book here. Tathkiratul Muttaqin is a very famous book. I'm reading off of this, and this book is citing another book of Allama Tehrani in which he mentions this story. I didn't have that book, but I knew that it was mentioned in this one, so I brought this one with me. All right, so he says that silence. After a little bit, again it happens. Okay? And you're, he's talking to somebody as if he's talking to somebody and pouring his heart out to somebody. And, and then again, silence and, and calm. And so the, every time this happens, it's getting closer and closer to that wall of, uh, you know, the maqam of Sahib al-Zaman And then he says, it got close to Fajr time. And that person was actually now standing in the maqam of Sahib al-Zaman. Now, all of you probably listening right now are thinking, oh, this was the Imam, Imam Zaman. No. Guess who it was? It was Sayyid Ahmed Karbalai. <laughs> Alright, anyway, but um, I wanted to... I spoiled it because I was going to say that in the end. But anyway, it says that this individual now... And he doesn't know who this individual is, by the way, still. Um, now begins to speak and addressing Sahib al-Zaman. Not that he's actually seeing Sahib al-Zaman, but he's addressing Sahib al-Zaman in that situation, in that circumstance that he's in, of a, of a night spent in this uh, ibadah and all of that and he starts to recite this poetry remember i said we'll get to some poetry yeah i don't know how much time we have for this but uh, we've had two weeks off so just give me a few minutes to go through this very quickly um, it says here that after he started addressing sahib al-zaman and after once again a long weeping session with sahib al-zaman yeah, and wailing and all of that to the point that it's like heart-wrenching. To that point, he started reciting this poetry for Sahib al-Zaman, which this poetry is really for God himself, I would say. But um, it can also be applied to anyone that you really want to reach, that you can't reach. Okay, So that grief that I was talking about, uh, this is the example of it, I want to say. So it all culminates in this. Yeah, this is a famous, this is Ghazal number 366 of Hafiz. Okay, now, those of you who know me, those who know me, they know I'm not, a very, I'm not very big on poetry, you know. Um, but I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And um, I feel that it is very inspirational. The Irfani poetry that we have. Um, I find it very nice and sweet to read every now and then. You know, to give give your life a little poetic touch and get yourself out of that black and white sometimes a little bit, you know. So anyway, it goes like this. I'll read some of the Farsi and I'll explain. Um, although these poem these poems uh, sometimes they're read. There's different ways of reading them. Like there will be some words that are read in different ways, and there will be different quote unquote tafsirs of these as well because it's Irfani poetry. But whatever, let's see what we can get out of it. It says, "Ma bedin dar napey hishmatu jah amadeim az bade hadese injab panah amadeim." That we've come to this door, 
the door of Allah, the door of Sahib Zaman, you know, these doors, these doors of, you know, that have to do with the heavens, not this lowly earth and this lowly life that we're in. But we've come to these doors, all right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just make it sound like we're talking to Allah here, okay? Oh Allah, we've come to your door not because we're after fame and glory and things like hishmatu jah. We're not after hishmatu jah. No, but rather the bitter uh, truth and reality of our uh, of what happened in the past has brought us here. And so when you look at the tafsir of this, they'll say that this has to do with, he's referring to Adam salam and the mistake that was made and then we all had to come down from the lofty position that we were at. Now there is a theological discussion here. If Adam had not ha done what he did, would we have all come down to this dunya or not personally? And others will also believe the same that yes, we would have still come. But anyway, this is poetry. And so these things are overlooked in poetry, okay? A bad thing took place. Yeah. And so, you know, this is where we've ended up, unfortunately. And so we have to come to this door now or else we were up there with you. Alright. That we are the wayfarers of love. Okay? That's what we are. And we started from nothingness, lack of existence, and now we've made it to existence. We have been brought into existence. Yeah? So we've come all this way. Oh well, think about if you're talking to Allah with these lines after what a night you had okay it says we got a glimpse of the beauty of you O Allah and so from paradise we left paradise in pursuit of this special thing of you okay that's what we're after like we've put Jannah even behind coming for you. So think about it. If a person's put Jannah behind and coming for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they haven't reached Allah yet, won't they have to be grief, grievous? Of course. This is the grief we're talking about. Yeah. So I won't read the farce anymore. I'll just, I'll go very quickly. Um, it says, this love that I'm talking about, this is the treasure that Ruhul Amin, Jibreel, whichever angel he's referring to has and is holding on to, okay? The angel, this great angel or this great ruh of yours, oh Allah, this is the treasure that they're holding on to. We have gotten that and we've come to you. Although it's a treasure, we're coming to you as beggars and we're begging you, oh Allah. Yeah. And so, talks about, you know, how sinful we are and, and so on. And then ends with this, Hafiz in he says, oh, Hafiz, he speaks to himself now, okay? Hafiz, this, uh, this uh, wool, this wool, uh, what do they call it? Sheet or blanket or cloak, let's say. This wool cloak that, you know, is something that's uh, very Zahid, uh, the Zuhad would do and, you know, the aesthetics, the ones who don't care about dunya, they wear something wool that is, uh, it's not very comfortable compared to cotton and other material. He says, look, you're wearing this cloak of, you know, asceticism and zuhd and all of that. Cast this aside. All right. Did all these games and stuff, put it aside. You know what your actual capital is? What your actual, what, what actually has value is that you're coming to the door of Allah? Uh, it is the uh, the flame of ah. Uh. Ah uh is that sound of what a person makes, is that sigh, that loud sigh and wailing a person makes when they have like the craziest grief, okay? He says, look, what matters is that you've come with ah. Don't act like you're spiritual. Don't act like you're Zahid. Don't act like this and that. It's what's in here. It's the heart that is that, that it matters. And if it's in the heart, that's when an actual ah comes out, that sigh or that wailing, that moaning, that whatever you want to call it. Okay, when someone's very upset about something and they just, without any control, they give off a, a loud sigh because they want something. We've come to the door of Allah and we're following this, he says, qafila, this caravan. We're after this caravan with this. This is our capital. This is our currency that we're using. This is what has value. The rest doesn't have value. Don't act like you're something. 
All right, so that's the poetry that he's reading. Sayyid Ahmad Karbala'i. So what kind of grief is this? How are you going to explain this grief to someone who is secular, who is worldly, who is uh, only thinks about this life? Uh -huh. How are you going to explain this? You can't explain it to them. They don't have what it takes to understand what's going on here. They don't want to understand maybe even. All right. It says after he went through this poetry, he went silent again and he didn't say anything anymore. And in the, in the dark of that time, which is Fajr time, I guess, he prayed. Um... Yeah, it says he prayed Fajr and then he continued after that with his taqibat and dhikr and fikr until sunrise and he got up and left. He gets up and left. You see him five minutes later in the street. Can you tell what's, what, what this guy went through the night before? Nope. <laughs> and so he goes back. So he says, I was awake all that night and I was just shocked. I was like, what is going on? I was baffled. And so as I was leaving, I asked the caretaker of the masjid, who is this? Is this what's going on? He says, oh, this was a, a person by the name of Sayyid Ahmad Karbala'i. Usually when there is no one in the masjid, he comes and this is the deal with him. When there's no one in the masjid, no one to see him. This is what he does and he goes. And he says, I went back to Najaf. Kul Paigani now says this, who, who witnessed all of this. He says, I went back to Najaf, to my teacher, Agha Sheikh Ali Muhammad Najaf Abadi. I told him everything that had taken place. He says, come with me. He, sa he says, he took me to the home of Sayyid Ahmed Karbala'i, took my hand, put it in his hand. He says, from this day forward, he is your spiritual guide. This, this grief that we're talking about, something like this. And so I'll end with this saying by Ayatollah Hassan Zada Amuli. He has, a, he has a little book of his own where he has all these nice lines in it. All right, I'm going to end. Uh, I know I've gone for a, quite a while now. I'm sorry. It says, Tajan belab narasad. Jan. What does Jan mean? Jan means life, right? Okay. Tajan belab narasad. Jam with an M. Belab narasad. If you know Farsi, you appreciate what he's done here. Tajan belab narasad. Jam belab narasad. Which means basically that as long as you haven't reached here, your jan has not reached your lips, your jan meaning your soul, your soul hasn't reached your lips. In other words, like it's gotten so hard on you that your soul is about to just like depart, okay? Until you've like destroyed yourself in this path of spirituality, jam belab narasat, the jam, the goblet will not reach the lips. So this is an expression in Farsi. Jan belab shudam. Like I'm, I'm dying here. Jan belab shudam. I've become jan belab. That means my soul has reached my, is reached here. Like you're killing me. You know when you're when you're when you're upset at something, or you're fed up with something. You say jan belab shudam. He says jan belab. Yes, if you're not jan belab, you won't be jam belab. Goblet at your lips, drinking the wine of, and intoxic and getting intoxicated in that spiritual lofty intoxication of visal and reaching Allah subhanahu wa taala. So of course these people will be, you know, burning uh, like a candle. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us, uh, or myself, an atom's worth of something like this. I think we'll be set after that, inshallah. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. I don't think we're going to have any questions. Okay, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about who that was. <laughs> so does, does this mean that the bodies and the rooms of the Imam and Mashamun are extra strong since they have the burden of So does this mean that um, the souls and the bodies of the Imams are strong? They're so strong that they can keep that soul in the body? I would say yes. <laughs> yeah, something yeah, something going on there that's special. Um but uh, others sometimes won't be able to. I, I, yeah, I agree. To an extent, I would say that that's a good possibility. There's a good possibility there that there is something special about them because the amount of ma'rifat that they have, they shouldn't stay here long. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Usually, it's not. If I'm not mistaken, you shouldn't be asking to address, right? Right. Uh, things like that. But these individuals, do they do they have that conversation that they should be brought back to? Right. Good question. So he says that um, 
you know, we're not supposed to do dua for death. Like, oh Allah, I want death tomorrow or something. And so, but do these people reach a point where that's something that might be on their radar or they might have in mind and so on? Look, it's one thing to do dua for death. It's one thing to look forward to it. Yeah, for them, they're looking forward to it for sure. That's the grief part, I would say. Like they're waiting. Why hasn't the time come? Why hasn't the time come? Imam Ali says, if God hadn't allowed, if God had allowed, they would leave, the, they would depart. But Allah hasn't allowed it. And so they're there, right? So yeah, they're looking forward to it. They're yearning for it. They can't wait for it. But I don't think in any, in any of this that we read tonight, for example, did we have any cases where they said, oh Allah, give me death. None of them did that, yeah. So it's not something to ask for. It is, yeah, you can sometimes ask for how you want to die. Oh Allah, grant me shahada. Oh Allah, grant me, you know, death on the way to ziyara of Imam Hussein. That's one thing, right? But to ask for death itself, we don't have that um, in our sources emphasized. As a matter of fact, we have, the op we have hadiths that say the opposite, actually. Yeah. Yes. Bishruhu fi wajhihi in his face. Yeah. So in their face, they have a smile. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if there's any huzn, they, it's in their heart. Usually they use this hadith for irfani purposes. They say that huzn, that special huzn it's talking about. Yeah. That we were talking about tonight. But all in all, I mean, that the, the hadith doesn't specify that. It says any huzn. But yeah, this applies to what we're talking about as well. All right. Thank you very much. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.